Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our first episode of our new podcast, Archangels of Justice Weekly. We've heard a lot from our listeners since we released the Sheena Morris case, and you've been demanding more content, and for our investigators Sal and Ira to talk about subjects or cases at a much more general level. So that's why we started this weekly podcast. These first four episodes will be appearing on both our case files and weekly podcast feeds, and then starting with episode five, the weekly podcast will be on its own feed exclusively. But make sure you're subscribed to both so you don't miss any content. Also, we are still hard at work on the new Case Files podcast and video series, which will be focusing on the Leonard Peltier case. Hopefully our first episode will be available, cross your fingers, in February. But if you'd like an early preview, then you can support us on Patreon for as little as $1, and you'll receive a 15-minute intro about the case and the work we are doing for Leonard. But getting back to our weekly podcast, this episode was originally going to be about elderly abuse, but Sal Ira and I had a fantastic conversation with Marcia Southwick from the National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, also known as NASJA. After I listened to the conversation and I talked to Sal and Ira, we decided to make our first episode about the problems guardianship has caused many senior citizens today. Before doing research into guardianship abuse, I did not realize how much of a problem it was in society. So after listening to this podcast, if you or anyone you know has ever experienced guardianship abuse, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at podcast at archangelsofjustice.org. We would love to share your story and make sure this does not happen to anybody else. And it's my pleasure to present our theme song for Archangels of Justice Weekly. This is by Ian Jay and Michael Edward, and it's called Battle Scars. Sometimes we forget why we're here. It's easy to fall off track. These help us remember. These battle scars don't look like the fate. Don't look like they're ever gone away. Thank you, Marsha, for joining us today to talk about guardianship abuse and to share a few stories about what you've seen during your career. Yes. Most of our audience, like myself, are unfamiliar with this topic. Sure. So let's just start with simply, what is guardianship? Well, guardianship is an arrangement whereby one person exercises or takes over the rights of another person to care for them. So it's kind of a parental uh, relationship. But the, per- the parent of, say, an elder or a disabled person or someone who can't uh, take care of themselves anymore. Um, they, this professional or family member, goes to court, petitions the court, and then becomes the the primary decision maker for the elder. The problem with guardianship is that the court takes away. I mean, if you can, you as a person, me, anyone over sixty five, especially, um, can have this happen where. Even not knowing it, you can have a guardian appointed over you in an emergency proceeding that can last as little as 15 minutes in which your rights get removed, your right to uh, marry, your right to vote, your right to make any decisions about where you want to live, what medicines you're going to take, and what happens to your money. And then your money is put into a guardianship account, and everybody who works around the guardianship in service of the guardianship, including the guardian, the attorneys, uh, healthcare workers, uh, people who do errands, whatever, uh, they now can charge the elder's estate for their services. So basically, this one elder, if there's money there, they'll end up supporting all these different jobs. And it's just not right. You know, I mean, and a lot of the people who are in this situation don't really belong in it. They it, it happened too fast. There wasn't enough due process. They didn't get a chance to speak. In many cases, they they don't even you know it's an emergency. It's considered an emergency. What's an emergency? You know, there's no proof requirement of absolute proof in these courts. So somebody can just come into court and say, oh, there's an emergency. Oh, my mother is being you know, I don't know, abused by my brother, or a, a professional could come in and say. The doctor called me and said this person isn't fit. They need to be in a guardianship, or you know, there, there are several different, there are many different scenarios 
in which uh, a guardianship can happen. It's not always family that causes it, although family conflict is often produces the problem because one family member will go to court. And that's the start of this whole nightmare. They and, don't and know I, any better. They don't. And how, how does someone get put in this? Is it because of old age? Is it because of yes. getting sick? Or is it, how does someone get in, into this situation? Okay, well, here's an example. There are many different, usually it's elders. Sometimes it's, it's uh, persons with disabilities. Uh, or, for, for example, here's, here's a case uh, t- from Tennessee. Ginger Franklin was about 52, and she fell down the stairs, and she had a brain injury and was unconscious for three weeks. And then she wakes up in the hospital, and her condo has been sold. Her, all of her belongings are gone. All of her money has been taken over, and a guardian shows up and says she's under guardianship. She doesn't really know what that means. And then they put her into a group home, and she's there for two years, and they tell her, uh, in this particular case, it was just horrible. They, the nursing home, it was a group home, sorry. It was only about maybe uh, eight people or so in the home. They told her she had to do all of the dispensing of medication the cooking, the cleaning, she had to do everything, or they could always put her into a lockdown facility, which they can do because they have all of this power. The guardian had all this power. So for two years, Ginger struggled to get out. Finally, she, with the help of some advocates, she just took off. And the guardian had already done so many things wrong, basically, I think, that she let her go. Then Ginger turned around and tried to sue for, you know, she was basically an indentured servant. Mm -hmm. And she won um, a small settlement against the group home, which then declared bankruptcy, right? And uh, the other, they settled out of court with with the guardian. But it's just, you know, imagine going, imagine that. Imagine going through something like that. And then she... She was out on her own, finally got out, got a job, and then she was very ill and died recently, so it was too bad. But, you know, I mean, these cases are rampant everywhere. They're in every state, um, and they happen for all sorts of reasons, but the problem is there's secrecy surrounding it. Guardianship cases are, are sealed often, so nobody really knows what's going on, and and these people are in danger. It's a, almost a public safety issue at this point. So what was the original intention of the guardianship law? Where did this even originate from? It came, it came from uh, very early British times. They had something called the lunacy laws, and um, uh, where they took over, the king took over the estates of people who were considered completely mentally incapacitated, right? Mm-hmm. And then they made so the court made so much money off it they just kept kept it going. So it's been, as I understand it, in existence as a principle for a long time to have something in place for people who can't take care of themselves. And so you know, the intentions of it are good. The idea is that if somebody really you know, I think especially during the sixties and seventies when we all kind of moved away from home there were elders just languishing who weren't asking for help or their kids were gone. And, uh, you know, you kind of had to do something for some of these people, you know, hoarders, let's say somebody's hoarding and they're, you know, you've seen that it, it, mm-hmm. there's some elder people who really need help. There's no question. The problem is that it's now become a cottage industry to take people over and take their money. I mean, they're doing it illegally and they're doing it, uh, they're doing it without proper justification in some cases. Um, and they once they start making money off this individual, they're not going to give it up. And you can fight the guardian in court, maybe, but the guardian can use your parents' money to fight you back. That's not right. That's not right. Marsha, talk a little bit about what a ward is and how someone becomes one. I mean, how is it even decided that's, that a person needs a guardian? So what happens is somebody petitions the court to say that you're 
say you, or incapacitated. So they go to the court, they have an attorney, and the attorney, uh, then an attorney is appointed for the respondent, or the person being accused of being incapacitated or whatever. The court usually hires them an attorney. Um, problem is the attorney doesn't really represent you, he or she represents your quote-unquote best interests, which really are the court's best interests. Let's say they want to make money off you. I mean, it's just not quite right. It's all, I mean, I'm I'm giving you the very worst scenario. Of course, there are mm-hmm. many courts that do it right, and they, you know, even though they're kind of on the honor system because there's no accountability required, really, at this point. Um, supposedly, it's required, but Guardians don't turn in their reports. About half of them don't in some states, you know. So, so anyway, the petitioner goes in, claims that you're incapacitated. Then you're then a visitor, court visitor, comes out to your home to determine, you know, interview you and see how you are, et cetera, et cetera. And they come back and report to the court, and then a court-appointed psychiatrist will or health worker will evaluate you. And, you know, it's pretty much a test, I would imagine. I've I've never, I don't know, actually, I don't know the details, but it's not a very robust test. And what what are the ward's rights under under the law? Well, right now, luckily, the the Uniform Law Commission has come out with a new, um, it's a uniform guardianship laws that will help the rights of a ward. Right now, a ward, can't even sign a contract to hire their own attorney, you know. So they're once you're in it, they can't really. What can they do? You know, they can't hire an attorney. They're not allowed. They've been deemed incapacitated, and they can't hire an attorney to get themselves out of it. Well, now I believe the ULC is suggesting that people should be able to hire their own attorneys or have a court-appointed attorney if they want to contest it. So that's a good step. You know, so if they really are miserable and this isn't working, there seem to be some more um, ability to be able to do something about it. I hope so. Because so far, once you're in it, you're stuck. You know, one of the problems that they have with this is they don't notify the person they're trying to guardianize. Um, you know, when you get sued in a lawsuit, you get served with a paper. Um, if yeah. you are criminally charged, they serve you the paper. Here, the poor guy that's getting guardianized is uh, emergency detention. It's brought before the court, and he doesn't even know about it. He can't even represent himself uh, and, and hire that's an right. attorney before he gets guardianized, and then he's stuck. That's correct. Yeah, because usually an emergency guardian uh, guardianship will almost always turn into a permanent one. So if they can get you through an emergency guardianship, you really damn tough to get out and chances are you'll have a permanent guardian i think now it's going to be a little better for the with the if the states adopt the uniform law commission rules it'll be a little better there's it's a little more uh, more accounting on the making sure due process in terms of notification is received that's one thing they're trying to do and the other is that you can hire your own attorney now so you don't have to be subjected because these courts somehow have, you know, let's say in New Mexico, where there's huge problems where I am. And they've recently, as I mentioned, they'd uncovered all this guardianship. Well, in New Mexico, the reason I got involved was um, I had a friend who was away on a cruise in South America with his long-term companion. And one day he got a call while on the boat and said, you have to come home. Your rights have been removed. And you are under a guardianship. And so they went back and they wouldn't even allow him to come to his, to the hearing because he was supposedly, quote unquote, incapacitated. So it's kind of like um, you can't win. You really can't win because here he was, he was deemed incapacitated. Therefore, he couldn't go to his own hearing that would deem him incapacitated. And then for the next two years, they charged him about a million dollars a year. They took of his money. And he was just kept at home in his house. He couldn't leave on his own. He had the phones removed, the pictures of his girlfriend. Um, it was just awful. I just can't even begin to describe it. 
are these family members doing this or are these are these actual guardian guardianship companies that are that are preying on these people um i think it's it well I, it's often families that don't know better okay so let's say in his case my friend's case his daughter was worried about his long-term girlfriend thought maybe she would take the estate or something. Who knows? Because the father and daughter didn't get along at all. So I think she went to a, a, a elder attorney and said, you know, I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, we have a solution. We'll put a third-party conservator, guardian and conservators used in different states, you know. For mm-hmm. Anyway, here it's conservator and guardian. Anyway, conservator of the money and guardian of the person. And so he said, we'll just get a conservator and a guardian, and that'll be a third-party neutral party that will take care of your dad's assets and take care of his health, and it'll make things easier for you, and, you know, we'll be your guardian angels, kind of, you know. And so she says, sure. And then immediately that same lawyer, who's going to make a lot of money by doing this, goes down to the courtroom. He charged $30,000 to do this. Um, out of this man's estate um, before he even was permanent, uh, had permanent guardianship. He, you know, he was charging the estate already. And so he, that lawyer petitioned the court. Then that lawyer chooses the attorney that's going to represent you. He, he, he uh, selects the guardian and the guardian ad litem, guardian ad litem is basically the attorney. Uh, for you and uh, the visitor and the psychiatrist who does the reports. Now that's insane that one person is allowed to do all that. That's not right. So basically what you have is a team of people who know each other and work on case after case together and make money together. It's just one big feeding fest. It's disgusting. And Sal or Ira, have you guys seen any of this um, when you're working your cases? So I've seen a lot of it. Have you? I'm a consultant to NASCA, and um, I've been all around. In one case in Wisconsin, which is the only one I really know that was one, uh, an older man was dating a younger woman about 15 or 20 years younger than he was for about 16 years and yeah. his son filed guardianship papers to, and they took him into custody and um, mm-hmm. nobody knew what to do and I told the attorney get rid of habeas corpus the government yeah. takes him into custody you so the attorney said he likes that idea so he filed a rid of habeas corpus and they released the guy pending a hearing this was on Tuesday pending a hearing on Friday and uh, on wow. Friday we came into court and the uh, girlfriend introduced herself as the guy's wife. And the, the son and the attorneys were all yelling at her, how the heck did you get married? Ira took us to Las Vegas. He was the best man and the ring bearer and the photographer. Oh, really? And I sprung the guy. That was the only one that anybody knows about. That is an incredible story. Does Elaine have that in the record? Oh, sure she does. She got such a kick oh, out of it when I came back. As, uh, they, they're both gone. It was uh, Jerry Schaefer and a lady named uh, uh, Carol Schultz. And, uh, she oh, right. I remember her. Carol Schultz. I remember that case. Yes. yes. She identified herself in wow. court as Carol Schultz Schaefer. <laughs> and they went nuts. And uh, I, I put that right crazy. past them. They never saw it coming. That is really smart. That's so smart. Wow, that's just great. Hey. The habeas corpus means that the person has to be in court, right? The writ of habeas yeah. corpus, you know, to bring the body, you know, you know, have to appear in court, make an appearance. Yeah. And, right. uh, yeah. you know, that, that was a, that was well, a really good move. Because typically they hide these people um, right. from, That's from right. the public's view. And these I've, I've dealt right. with attorneys. I've actually arrested a couple of attorneys that have uh, ripped off the trust accounts of people people that they were really? guardians on. Oh, really? Wow. That's, that's or, you know, thousands, great. tens of thousands, some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. And they're getting away with it. That's the well, sad part. They have been this, getting away with it. Yeah. Well, sad part is, is 
when they know what they know what to apply, you know, what laws to apply, and they get in front of a judge that's friendly to them, you know, because most right. of these attorneys are all in a local court. Right. They all know one another. And, um, right. you know, until someone can prove wrongdoing, they get away with it. You know, and in some cases you do get a I family member that comes out of the woodwork and gets law enforcement involved in it. And uh, when I was a police officer, that's how we, we caught a few attorneys and uh, a few family members that were doing just that. And, you know, basically, oh, you know, padding the bills and what, stealing them. What state was this? This is in Florida. But oh, this Florida, goes yeah. on all over the yeah. country, you know, as, oh, you, as yeah. you're aware, you know, it, it's all over the place. It's not just it's, it's, uh, it's one state. unbelievable how much of it is going on. It's just incredible. It's, it's the money, it's, you know, it's money. It's money it's, that they get their yeah. hands on. Because if you could prove in the courtroom to the judge that someone's incompetent to take care of themselves mm-hmm. and, and they get appointed a guardian, you know, it basically boils down to the guardian's word against this person. And this person never That's makes an right. appearance in court. You know, because they're right. incompetent. They're ruled incompetent. Right. That's exactly what happened to mm-hmm. my friend. Yeah, which and is it was frustrating. Graceful. Yeah. He could have well, had care, happy care for the rest of his life, and lived a mm-hmm. lot longer without this guardianship. That is. Oh sure. But a lot of times, these people, uh, there's no one to examine them to determine that's whether right. they're competent or not. And that's the sad part. That's right. And, yeah. and that's where it's wrong because you know, in most other cases where you know, you, you're you're alleging, you know, some sort of act of uh, violence or incompetence. You know that the mm-hmm. person that's the accused has to appear in court, and in right. these cases, that's not yeah. the case at all, and that's sad. And you, you, yeah, and it's sad that you don't. It doesn't really require. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for one thing, when they change the word word from incompetent, which means mental. Mm-hmm. They change it to incapacitated, which all, you know, which can mean you know you break your hip and you can be put in the guardianship because you're mm-hmm. incapacitated. Right. So it's just um, it's gotten more it's gotten easier to put people into these situations, and that's not right. So yeah. I think the ULC is trying to make it more. They're trying to make it so that uh, a petitioner. Or, or when a, somebody petitions for guardianship, that the court really consider all other options aside from guardianship to help the person, rather than just slapping them into this, stripping right. them of all their rights, basically. Yeah, that's, that's major. what sexually it is. Are, are, are there any laws that are in place that protect the ward if if there's a bad if there's bad guardianship or being they're being abused by their guardians? They say there you can supposedly petition the court, but mostly the courts just don't. They don't respond. A lot of people write the courts. They complain. They send uh, stuff to the bar association about their attorneys. They complain about the guardian. They do all of this. They go to the DA. DA doesn't respond. Um, they call their senators. You know they do everything they can, and so far it just seems like nothing. Nothing works. It's very rare that somebody can get out. And I think that the future laws will be a little better about that. I think they'll make the due process a little bit more um, thorough, which would be a step in the right direction. So, so in, in, your, in your experience, if someone is being abused or taken advantage of, whether it's by the fa- a family member mm-hmm. or a guardian, how, yeah. how would they go about reporting that or, or, or getting out of it or, or, or stopping it? What, what would be the first, the first and I guess many steps to, to, to rewriting? Well, I wrong? guess, you know, if it's a family member who's not, doesn't have these powers, the problem is this: if you're a guardian, you've been given these special rights to determine everything about another person's life. You're really, they're really your belonging almost. I don't know, know any better way to say it. Um, and or the, you're their child or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what it sounds like. But, but but I mean the thing is that uh, with guardians, uh, if I locked my mother in a room, um, that would be elder abuse. If the guardian does it, it's quote unquote protection. In other words, they can get away with a lot of stuff that you or I could not with an elder, and nobody can touch it. You know, you call the cops and you say. It, my uh, guardian's starving me, or my guardian is, you know, hasn't done this or that, and the the cops will say, 
this is why I'm so glad you're a cop and you've, you've gotten into these cases. The cops will say that this is a civil matter and mm-hmm. a guardian's involved and the court's involved and we don't, that's not our uh, jurisdiction. Sometimes that's the case. It take it really takes a uh, a savvy officer when they go to the residence to interview the guardian and interview the um, the uh, ward. That if they could yeah. separate the two of them and make a determination of the ward's ability to communicate, uh, that right. could change the complexion of the case. But you know the problem that's really true is with a lot yeah. of officers is is a they they could be lazy. Be the uneducated mm-hmm. in in the area of um, yeah. elder abuse or guardianship problems, right. and and just don't know what to do about it, and I they agree. just kind of walk away, and it's sad. It, it, it's it's sad Very because sad. their job is to protect people from you know right. being preyed upon, but you know if yes, they, they don't right. know what they're looking for, or or they, or they don't want to work the case, or someone's already got to them and said to them, look, that's a civil matter. Don't bother with it. Yes, right. It goes, right. It goes uninvestigated. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, if I could yes. just mention something here, that uh, habeas corpus is a recourse in law through which a person can report an unlawful detention to a court mm-hmm. and request that the court order the custodian of that person to bring that person to court Determine that detention is law. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's a good one. Now, there's another case where a married couple, really interesting, very sad case, and a documentary was made of it called Edith and Eddie. You heard of this? No. And it's received all these accolades, and it's about a couple that got married. It's an interracial couple. She's black, he's white. They were in their 90s. And they got married, and then um, one of the daughters got upset and had her mom put under guardianship. And then, um, you know, she gets carted off. He dies. It's just a very sad story. So, you know, they can even enter, get in the middle of a marriage. Mm-hmm. You, you know, your your uh, your clients got married to avoid it. But these guys were married and didn't avoid it. Yeah, it's, I really believe it depends on these courts. And, and these, when it comes yeah. to money, and and you have to probably look at the um, the um, the local area there. You know, are they well known to the to the court system? Does the judge know the parties involved? Things like yeah. that. Because if you know this mm-hmm. this daughter alleges all sorts of wrongdoing uh, on the part of this new husband. And, uh, you know, with that investigation and the judge, you know, basically awards the daughter what she wants, it really boils down to money. It's finances, I'm sure, yes, it does. in yes, probably it does. 90 percent of these cases. Uh, you would very rarely too. see cases like these with people that have no money. You know, what I mean, I've I seen agree. cases like these where someone's just barely subsists, uh, subsisting on Social Security or very, very, right. very small income. Nobody bothers with them. Right. They just let them die. That's right. I had a case one yes. time where we we found a man that had died. He was in his, oh, he was about ninety one, and he mm-hmm. was he was he was dead in his home. He lived alone. He had lived by himself for about thirty five years. People knew him to roam the neighborhood, and he'd say hello. But he wasn't, you know, he was more of a hermit than anything else. Make a long mm-hmm. story short, he had children. He and he had grandchildren and everything else, but nobody ever bothered with him. Um, right. They thought he was just a poor. Um, old man living in this rundown old house, stacked full of newspapers and boxes. Well, when we got yeah. in that house and, and we recovered his body and we were searching the house and you know g- going through everything, we found, believe it or not, we found banker's boxes in the closet, buried under clothes, where there was bearer's bonds in, worth over $3 million in bearer's bonds uh-huh. in this closet. Uh-huh. And then he had he had bank accounts and all this other stuff. Well, all of a sudden the kids come wild out of the woodwork when oh, you know you they, they find out their yeah. dad passed away and they come to the sheriff's department to see what you know evidence and and things we had put in the vault. And when they saw all these bearish bonds, boy oh boy, there was a, right. a fight you would not believe. Now all of a sudden they all were their you know their long lost child of this man. Yeah, but right. In the meantime, right, they didn't right. care about him otherwise. They thought he was broke. Yeah, and <laughs> he was a yeah, multimillionaire. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the one of the other sad parts about this is once 
the family and the guardians have depleted the guy's funds into nothing, they put the guy on Medicaid and the taxpayers pay the That's right. next bunch of years. There's, there. there's one case where a woman had $1.4 million to start with. And, uh, uh, and she ended up at a guardianship. They went through her money and she was broke and ended up on Medicare. Mm-hmm. That, that Medicaid. Yeah, they That's eat exactly up the money. They eat up the finances. That's what happens. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what it really boils down to. If this, if yep. the family knew that this one man was worth millions, they'd have probably put him in a guardianship. But they had no idea. They, he thought he was a broke yeah. old man, and they just left him alone. And wow. he died, and he left it all behind. So, so Marsha, you, well, you you mentioned there are some laws in states that are being looked at today. Can you expand upon that? It's in the uh, Uniform Law Commission. The Uniform Law Commission has had a group, a working group, trying to improve the guardianship laws. And as you know, it's state by state. So mm-hmm. this is a way where they create laws that each state can then adopt as much of that law as they want, or none. Uh, but usually they do. And it's and so the new the new um, documents about about 100 pages long, describing, it looks exactly like a statute. It is a statute, but it's their idea of a statute that the state should adopt. And, I, you know, a lot of people are objecting to it, saying it's not strong enough, uh, et cetera. But I think, actually, it focuses much more from the perspective of a ward. I mean, it, it, it takes into account the ward's um, rights. Much more so, I believe. Um, it it emphasizes that all alternatives should be considered before a guardianship is put in place. Most state statutes say that, but they don't say it as strongly as it is in this new document. And I think they say it in several places under several circumstances that they have to consider all other protective arrangements aside from guardianship. So that's good. And the other thing is that if the states adopt this, the visitation issue that I was talking about, about how um, guardians, if the family, let's say a family's involved, let's say that guy with all the bear bonds, if he had a guardian, um, you'd need somebody to really, um, let's see, what was I going to say? I was going to, um, ah, forgotten totally where I was going with that. But uh, anyway, the law, Oh, I know. Um, it's that the guardian, if the family starts complaining, guardians say, well, you know, you can't see your parent for three months because they are really agitated whenever you come in. It can, it's probably not true, but they'll just use that to keep the family out of their hair as they plunder mm-hmm. these. Kids. Sure. And so um, it, it's a, with the new laws, it would be a family member. They can only stop from a visitation for seven days. And anyone else that's close to the ward or whatever, it would be no more than 60 days before. And then I'm not quite sure what happens after that, but I believe um, then you can go to court and get 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 take get, get the attention of the judge about it. And uh, I think that's better. So wards automatically have the right to phone calls, emails, um, and an association with whoever they want to be with as long as it's not a real danger. So that's a good, that's a positive development, I think. So this comes, this has just come out and, and during this next session, uh, states will be considering it. At least our state is. What do you think the biggest problem is? And what do you think would put a stop to a lot of this guardianship abuse? The one thing that would really put a lot of stop to all this is when these, especially families, they get into these big, you know, the kids getting into these big disagreements over their parent, and then somebody goes to court, blah, blah, blah. One thing that they really should do is require mediation before they get into it. Because I, I honestly believe that many of the families don't know that what this really means. They, they don't realize they'll never see a penny of their parents' money if they do this. They just don't know that their, their parents' rights are going to be removed. And the guardians and the attorneys will be spending the money, and then they won't be able to necessarily even see their parents. Mm-hmm. 
the way things stand. And most people, I really believe, don't know that. In fact, I would say about 60% of the cases involving families, people have said something like, you know, if I'd known what guardianship really was, I would have taken my parent out to the woods and lived in a tent. I wouldn't care about money. Money would not be my priority. So it's a hard lesson that some of these families learn. Um, and, and then guardianship companies also advertise themselves as beneficent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, I've been to some of these senior center uh, lectures. Like there's one company here that I went to this talk they gave just to see what they did. And it was at the wealthiest retirement community in Santa Fe. And so they go, and the way they present themselves is we can take care, do, does your family, how many of you have family, no family here? And then hands raised. Meanwhile, you've signed in to the conference, you have a name tag. They, they're really trolling. They're really trolling to see who doesn't have relatives. And then they ask, okay, how many of you have filled out your, don't have your wills done? Five hands go up. They're kind of taking notes. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. after they ask all these personal questions, um, then they uh, start saying things like, well, you know, in those situations, we're really great because we can take over your financial power of attorney, your health power of attorney, and we can take care of all this, everything for you and keep everything very streamlined. And it sounds great. It sounds mm-hmm. great. But then they don't tell you, oh, by the way, you'll lose all your rights and you won't ever be able to make another decision for yourself as long as you live and you're going to be treated like a child and you're going to be pretty much, you know, feeling completely um, devastated in terms of your own, you know, no autonomy. I mean, it's like being in prison, really. Most people who are in guardianships say they feel like they're in prison. So these companies will, will, will literally go to retirement communities and pitch their services. And then these, these, these elderly people will sign over if they sign over right. their, their rights, it's their, their award. Yes. And, but I mean, yes, I, they I, don't I, realize they're going to become, you know, they, they, they don't, what I what I'm guessing is this, you know, they're saying, if you feel like you can't take care of yourself anymore, we're here to help. Well, okay. So now they become your health attorney and your, your, uh, you know, financial advisor. What's to prevent them? They're a guardianship business. So why wouldn't they just have an attorney go down and, and petition for guardianship and then the court assigns you as their uh, guardian? I mean, the company is their guardian. Essentially, what, what these they're doing is they're signing over to say, you're my financial advisor, you're my health advisor. And then later on down the line, they're, they're then yeah. they're, they're, these, they're getting their lawyers to go in and, and get their guardianship of these people. That's and and they, don't even, they don't even yeah. know about it. Wow. That's what I think. What they what they told me was we can't we don't apply we don't apply for guardianships only the court appoints them well they all know each other in my case this very company was the one that was selected for him you know and it was the attorney who selected them so all they have to do is have their attorney go in and petition and then yeah, the court good. says oh let's use such and such a company which is. The company that oh know, I see here. you know so uh, I just think there are all kinds of little um, tricks they use uh, it's sad. sad but there's so much attention now haven't you noticed much more attention like New Yorker article and mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal um, I think people are starting to wake up a little I hope what's your sense of that you know, from what I've seen, a lot of people, especially down here in Florida, you have a lot of retirees that make their way down here with whatever they had up north, and, and they may eventually yep. move here permanently. And when they get too old to take care of themselves and their children are too far away or don't want to be bothered, right. a lot of them go to these assisted living uh, places where they yes. essentially turn over everything and yes. uh, their property, their money, and everything with basically right. a contract that they'll be taken care of. Uh, from from being assisted living to uh, yes. finally being essentially a ward because they're going to get to a point where they can't right. even take care of themselves at all. 
yeah. they just give yeah. everything over that way. And and they do it while wow. they're still competent, you know, so. And then when wow. the kids are wondering what's going on, it's too late. You know, and yep. it's all gone. Wow, I didn't stop. know that. I do I do know that the ULC is going to try to make it so that nursing homes can't apply for great, can't uh, mm. have uh, wards. Yeah, they're, they're getting away with it, though. They're still getting away with yeah, it. Yeah, I know it. Here. And uh, we've had cases where, you know, the the actual healthcare workers inside these facilities steal from these people as well. Uh, You know, people, some of them have their checkbooks in their rooms. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even that, you know, that happens. And then, of course, the, of course, the uh, facility then will call law enforcement to get rid of this person. But uh, they're still doing stuff that's shady themselves, you know. But in the meantime, basically arresting a healthcare worker for forging a check or something like that, which is a a big scheme of things. It's a small problem compared to what's really happening, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty amazing. It really is. I mean, I was so shocked when I first learned about this. I thought, how can you just get a person in a position where you remove their rights so they can't do they anything can. as you displace them? They can. But that's what I was saying earlier, though. In some cases, like say you want to put somebody in a, a mental health facility because they're a drug addict yeah. or an alcoholic, and a yeah. family member writes out an affidavit that they're a danger to themselves in the community, and they get picked yeah. up by law enforcement, yeah. and they're taken to this yeah. facility. Well, for three days, they're they're uh, interviewed and they're diagnosed and then they go to court right. and the person from the facility comes to court and says they're not, you know, incompetent. They're not mentally ill. They have a drug problem, but, you know, they need treatment. You know, but we're not going to hold yeah. them for six months. They'll hold yeah. them if they have insurance and the court orders it, but otherwise they won't. But with these elderly people. They don't get that opportunity to be di- to be diagnosed by a staff of physicians and psychiatrists Correct, that will yeah. come in as a third party and say, "Look, you know, there's nothing wrong with this person. They they can take care of themselves right. at home. No one does that, and that's I something that needs to be initiated. Where the, the the third party has nothing to do with collecting any money, and that's the problem. Is yeah, is, is keeping is the, the money problem. out of the hands of everybody that's involved. That's correct. That's exactly the problem. Uh, it's just an inside job in a lot of it these is. places. It is. It's inside robbery. It's exactly what it yeah. is, and it's legal because the yeah. courts allow it. There just Good. has to be audit. There has to be auditing of these records of the expenses. There's right now. There's they just hand in checkbooks and stuff. I mean, they really don't have a thorough auditing of what's going on in these cases. Uh, and you know, they're only required to to report once annually. I think it is. And can you imagine having your money in a bank mm-hmm. and the bank that one day says, no, I'm sorry, you can't see your, your account and what's in it? How For a year? Feel? Yeah. Well, and these people don't get to see it at all if they're already a ward. No, they don't get to. Yeah, they don't the get guardian to see it at all. It. Yeah, the guardian hides right. it. So does the attorney. Now, and, now I believe the ULC has proposed that the, the, the uh, ward be able to see any records. I'm not sure about the financial records, but any records pertaining to the guardianship. I'm not. I wish. I hope that does include uh, people ought to see what these people are charging. My God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something else. I mean, because prices could be set. There's no reason for a phone call to be two hundred and fifty dollars. You know, right. they're, 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 you know, maybe fifty dollars, but not two hundred and fifty. Yeah, right. So a lot of this stuff, yeah, that's great. you know, could be regulated by saying this is what this costs and this is what you'll charge. Right. If you charge more than this, exactly. you know, you're going to be found in contempt of a court order or something like that. But right. There's not right. enough control over the finances, and and that's the that's problem because right. once they start tightening up on the money, you'll probably see less guardian abuse because they can't steal the money anymore. You know, yeah, right. You know, it, it, it only seems to boil down to that in most cases. It's, it's how much money. Oh, it's all about money. I mm-hmm. really agree with you. I really agree with you. All this predatory behavior doesn't come out when there's no money. No. You know, the, the, there's other no, cases yeah. of abuse, you know, elder abuse, yeah. Oh, yeah. beatings oh, yeah. and such like but this. I mean but financial. That could be, yeah, that could be someone that's financially set or poor. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, right. They get beat right. by you know, uh, a relative, a niece, nephew, child, whatever the case may be. Uh, I remember yeah. there was one case in Orlando not that long ago. This woman uh, was was alone. She got a pension from her deceased military husband. And there was a woman living with her that was using 
the uh, the finances coming in monthly. She bought herself a new car under the excuse oh, that it was to take this woman to the doctor and to go shopping yes, and right. so on and so forth. Right. And uh, finally, a family member went to go visit her because they hadn't heard from her in a while. And uh, she was living essentially, hadn't been bathed in months. Uh, oh. her, her bed sheets and stuff were soiled. And it was just, it was a oh, disgusting no. mess. And uh, yeah. he was able to get the law enforcement uh, people involved there. And when they saw the house and the conditions she was living in, they removed her from the property. And uh, she's yeah. living in an assisted facility now. And the family and members not keep under guardianship. Yeah, and she's not. Uh, she's mm-hmm. not under guardianship. No, no, she's That's she's good. just she's physically, you know, incapable of taking. Yeah. It, but mentally, she's she still has her faculties. Uh, yeah. And the family yeah. members now keep a closer eye on, you know, what's going Good. on there. But they pretty much eat up, though, that that check that she gets every month. Oh, you, know, you better believe her, it. You know. Yeah. But they do provide her oh, a yeah. clean, you know, room and food and clothing well, and so on and good. so forth. So her and basic see, needs are had a, Yeah, if they'd yeah. had a guardian charging. Uh, yeah. Oh, the guardian was ripping her off big time. And and yep. she was living in the, in the woman's house. It wasn't like she was keeping her in her home. Oh, she, she was living in That was. That was the guardian. Yeah, the guardian yeah. was living in the woman's home, you know, oh, and, and bought God. herself a new car. And everything. I'm sitting there going, That's "This is amazing how these people get away with this stuff." It, it's well, in the case here, uh, it, with this one guardianship company, a woman named Susan Harris, was Ariundo, I think they're called, and uh, I'm not pronouncing it right, but they they took trips, they bought Mercedes, they mm-hmm. they bought a house in Angel Fire, a resort in a resort, you know, all this stuff. How how do people sleep at night doing this? No they justify it though. They justify it yeah, to I themselves. Yeah. And and a lot of times these people are lonely for companionship. So, yeah. you know, it, it, the person that's, you know, a ward essentially uh, you know, somewhat gets attached to these people and, and they don't complain about it. They, you know, amazing. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. the other part of it. You know, they, they endear themselves to these people and, you know, being lonely and the family's not around, they just pretty much yes, hand the money over true. too. It's really true. That's very mm-hmm. true. Yeah. The strangers or the, yeah. I've, uh, yeah. I received a call from someone here in Santa Fe who said, my mother just about to, I just came home to visit. She's just about to buy a house for her, for her handyman. Yeah, <laughs> so I had to. Yeah. I, I, I said, look, what you what you want to do is just get all of her friends and all of your family, everybody together, and go over there and have a little talk with her. And they did yeah. prevent it. But That's wow, you know, sure. there was one right here That's, in Florida uh, when I was still with the sheriff's department where. When you mentioned handyman, it made me think of this one. Um, he went over there and installed some window shutters on her house. Mm-hmm. It was after the, or just before hurricane, and uh, she was eighty-three, living alone. Her husband had passed away six months before. Beautiful home on the river, you know, wealthy. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. he went over there and did some shutter work, and then she mentioned a couple little things around the house. He said, well, "I could fix that." Well, after about a month or two, he you know became her friend. And he'd hang yeah. out there almost daily for about two months, started yeah. bringing his wife there and their daughter. Yeah. And after oh, about a year, yeah, and after about one year there, he charged her $540,000 to do wow. a series of repairs on the house. Well, a family member that happened to keep an eye on things a little late contacted us. And I, I went over and I went and met with the, um, the lady. Uh, Mm-hmm. who was living alone and she told me what he had supposedly been doing and i started looking around the house and i'm going no, there's no way he did this, this the work was not yeah, done right so i called you know right. the county the building inspectors and i called different companies that would do the particular work he said he did and had the, everybody yeah. inspect this place and write up affidavits Fantastic. and they said no he, he didn't do anything so I, I, I arrested him you know and, and, and put him in jail and eventually you know he had to pay pay her back but she, she he yeah. she will never see it so the, no. the court ordered that he he would have to pay the estate back you know so he i don't yeah. know what he pays a month it's been a while now but not near enough to pay her back before she or, was going to pass away or you know yeah oh, it just amazes God. me how people will take advantage of these people but you know she would I tell know. me stories they'd come over for dinner and um, his daughter would fish on the dock 
And she, it was like having her granddaughter around. You know, her family yeah. all lived out of state. So here she had this yeah. little family here in town, and it was costing her yeah. a fortune, but it didn't seem to bother her because it was company, even though he was yeah, stealing company from her. And, uh, mm-hmm. so awful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it bothered awful. her after a while when her family finally said to her, you know, look, obviously you can't take care of things you're, you know, getting. But they didn't put her in a guardianship. The um, daughter good, moved good. down and moved into the house good. with her. And after that, I ran into her couple times after that even after i retired mm-hmm. you know in the grocery store locally yeah. and she was doing better and she was her daughter was always with her and you know you'd see her out so, and about so that was a you well, know that a sad is perfect story. solution but yeah. that's the perfect solution. it's a lot of money though what do you think about it a half a million in one year God this guy got out of her. one year yeah in one year mm-hmm. that is phenomenal yeah, people, yeah. I, I just think elders are really susceptible. They just mm-hmm. are. For our cognitive abilities just start going down. It's just the way yeah. it is, I guess. Well, they, they're alone, and, and, and they, they, they trust somebody with a good story. And, yeah. I, you know, I've always said yeah. this, and I make people laugh when I say it, but I've never met a con man that I didn't like. And, yes, and the reason too. I say that is, is every con man that's good will con you so well yeah. That you actually like them, you know, until you realize right. you're getting that's conned. That's right. You know, you know yep. what I'm saying? You realize you're getting conned, but it's amazing, you know, how good they I are. I know it is. Yeah. They're really good. They're yeah. really, really good. Um, I, I do want, I do want uh, Marsha to talk a little bit about uh, NASJA, which is uh, the National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse. Um, yeah. Just talk a little bit about what, you do exactly and what are the organizational goals okay um well let's see i don't have our mission statement right in front of us but um our mission really is to help victims of guardian abuse and we have a we have a support site for them if they join our organization we have a support group that where people help each other it's really pretty interesting uh people get on there describe their cases and others are really supportive and answering them and and you know uh it's very healthy um and then we also are working on legislation around the country for visitation rights for the wards you know as i was describing lots lots of times wards become isolated unfairly by by guardians and nobody checks in on these people end up dying alone without their family um it's just it's pretty bad. We get that's the number one complaint we get uh, is is this is isolation. So we're going around um, trying to make sure that's put into the to state statutes, and uh, that's basically what we do. We also do a lot of you know. Uh, my role is the writing aspect. I do a, a big Facebook page called Boomers Against Elder Abuse, and it has 160,000 followers. So. We do a lot of writing. We do a lot of writing to senators, to, you know, everybody. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we constantly call senators and try to persuade them to support uh, what we're trying to do. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, a lot of other things. Main, and also education. Education is uh, really what's needed. You know, so that's my goal is to really educate people about this as much as I can, because people just truly need to know. And how did you get involved with NASJA? Um, well, I was doing my, my Facebook page and I got to know NASCA, of course, I started studying cases on their site and I started talking to Elaine Renoir, and then we just joined forces. One day they called and said, would you like to be on the board? And I said, yes. So there are three of us that, that run it, but now we we have another legislative branch as well. So we're, we're gonna really be more active in that realm soon. Yeah, and we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of things like this, radio, we, we give people, we do lots of informational things, for, for example, the uh, government accountability office, when they did their big report, we helped with that. We helped at the ULC. We, you know, we're nationally involved. So, um, so it's exciting. I think a lot has happened in the last few years, and I think it's really breaking out now. So I feel really good about it. 
And if, if someone if someone wanted to donate to your organization, how would they do that? They would go to stopguardianabuse.org. And we would love donations. Donations would really help us out. Yeah, I don't just join join come over to Boomers Against Elder Abuse. Go to the National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse and read cases and and uh, uh, legislative updates about what we're doing. And you can donate there. We really appreciate it. We could we especially need it for administrative costs at this point. Um, and uh, also volunteering to just help write letters or or anything of the sort. We would really appreciate it. You should hear how much they charge for a year's membership. Twenty bucks, twenty dollars for a membership. Before we close out this podcast, is there anything else, Marcia, you would like to add about guardianship abuse? Oh, just wanted to say I'm I'm very thankful that you uh, invited me to be on this show, and I'm really glad that guardianship abuse is starting to get the attention it needs because these people who are under guardianship have lost their rights and are probably the most vulnerable to abuse of any citizen. That's all I have to say. Salarira? I have nothing to add. I think that was a perfect ending. Thank you. I have to say that uh, by the number of cases that Sal and I have done for little or nothing and for the financial conditions we're in, uh, we'll, we neither one of us will ever be guardianized. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I will Very true. Either. <laughs> Very true, Ira. Yeah, but yeah, ten. <laughs> you know, I have to get. I have to get a pen. <laughs> and with that, I would like to close out this episode. Thank you, Marcia, again for joining Sal, Ira, and I to talk about guardianship abuse. This is a very important subject that does not get the consideration it deserves until it is too late. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please check us out on Facebook at Archangels of Justice or on Twitter at Archangel Pod. If you're interested in any bonus content or you'd like to support the work we do, check us out on Patreon. And for as little as $1, you can help us continue this work. Thank you again for joining us and to Ian J. and Michael Edward for their fabulous song, Battle Scars. Sometimes we forget why we're here. It's easy to fall off track. These help us remember. These battles don't look like the fate. Don't look like they're ever gone away. They ain't never gonna change. These battles. Growing up, I had a dream, something no one else could see. Tell me what it means when your faith is falling beneath your knees and you can't breathe. Everything you see reminds you of what you're not or something you won't be. You gotta take what you're given, that's how we live it. Don't be mad at the system, it's simply how we've existed. I hear a lot of people talking like they politicians and choose to be an accountant because it's safe in a business. Not because they want to do it, just because they heard it pays. And who the fuck wants to be poor knowing that's how we've been raised? Society is getting heavy, I can feel the weight. The pressure of success is like a hundred million pounds of shame. And that's the reason I'm staying up late, trying to find a way to escape. The stereotypes this day and age is making me feel like the only way I'll be happy is getting signed to a label and making money through rapping. I want to share my emotion because this world is attacking the very principle of life that lets the people be happy. If you don't have a reason to breathe, why even live? These battles cause our impressions of everything that it is. created equal because some decide to be great and some decide a sequel to an average person's life is simply what they want to be so you make your decision all i know is what i'm given won't define the life i lead or the way i dwell in existence i've seen a greater image on the walls of where i'm living and the words twisted and scripted remind me of something written faith is a 
gift that is given down to the people If one believes it, one receives it It's given if it is needed Don't ever think you're trapped in a life that you never wanted Your options are infinite, that's some mathematical logic I'm not saying I'm a prophet, I'm speaking for what it's worth These lyrics define my prayers and these battles cause I'm a church I'm not saying I'm a prophet, I'm speaking for what it's worth These lyrics define my prayers, these battles cause I'm a church yeah. 